Part three, chapter one of Mushrooms on the Moor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Lillis. Mushrooms on the Moor by Frank W. Borum. Part three, chapter one. When the cows come home. I can see them now as they come, very slowly and in single file, down the winding old lane. The declining sun is shining through the tops of the poplars. The zest of daytime begins to soften into the hush and cool of evening when they come leisurely saunting through the grass that grows luxuriously beside the road. One after another they come quietly along. Cherry and brindle, blossom and darky, beauty and crinkle, daisy and pearl. A stranger watching them as they appear round the bend of the pretty old lane fancies each of them to be the last, and has just abandoned all hope of seeing another when the next pair of horns makes its unexpected appearance. They never hurry home, they just come. A particularly tempting wisp in the long sweet grass under the hedge will induce an instant halt. The least thing passing along the road stops the whole procession, and they stare fixedly at the intruder till he is well on his way. And then, with no attempt to make up for lost time, they jog along at the same old pace once more. It is good to watch them. When the whirl of life is too much for me, when my brain reels and my temples throb, when the hurry around me distracts my spirits and disturbs my peace, when I get caught in the tumult and bustle and the rush, then I like to throw myself back in my chair for a moment and close my eyes. I'm back once more in the dear old lane among the haws and the filberts. I catch once more the smell of the briar. I see again the squirrel up there in the oak and the rabbit under the hedge. I listen as of old to the chirp of the grasshopper in the stubble, to the hum of the bees among the foxgloves, to the song of the blackbird on the hawthorn, and best of all, yes, best of all for brain unsteadied and nerve unstrung, I see the cows coming home. It is a great thing to be able to believe the whole day long that, when evening comes, the cows will all come home. That is the faith of the milkmaid. As the day drags on, she looks through the lattice windows and catches occasional glimpses of cherry and brindle, blossom and darky, beauty and crinkle, daisy and pearl. They are always wandering farther and farther away across the fields, but she keeps a quiet heart. In her deepest soul she cherishes a lovely secret. She knows that when the sunbeams slant through the tall poplar spires the cows will all come home. She does not pretend to understand the mysterious instinct that will later on turn the faces of cherry and brindle towards her. She cannot explain the wondrous force that will direct Blossom and Darkie into the old lane, and guide them along its folds to the white gate down by the byre. But where she cannot trace, she trusts. All day long she clings to her sunny faith without wavering. She never doubts for a moment that the cows will all come home. Is there anything in the wide world more beautiful than the confidence of a good woman in the salvation of her children? For years they cluster around her knee. She reads with them prays with them, welcomes their childish confidences. Then one by one away they go. The heat of the day may bring waywardness and even shame, but like the milkmaid watching the cows through the lattice, she is sure that they will all come home. Think of Susanna Wesley with her great family of nineteen children around her. What a wonderful story it is, the tale of her personal care and individual solicitude for the spiritual welfare of each of them. And what a picture it is that Sir A. T. Quiller Couch has painted of the holy woman's deathbed. John arrives and is welcomed at the door by poor Hetty, the prodigal daughter. The end is very near, a few hours, perhaps, Hetty tells him. And she is happy? Ah, so happy. Hetty's eyes brimmed with tears, and she turned away. Sister, that happiness is for you, too. Why have you, alone of us, so far rejected it? Hetty stepped to the door with a feeble gesture of the hands. 
she knew that worn as he was with his journey if she gave him the chance he would grasp it and pause even while his mother panted her last to wrestle for and win a soul not because she hetty was his sister but simply because hers was a soul to be saved yes and she foresaw that sooner or later he would win that she would be swept into the flame of his conquest she craved only to be let alone she feared all new experience she distrusted even the joy of salvation life had been too hard for hetty and on another page we have an extract from charles's journal i prayed by my sister a gracious tender trembling soul a bruised reed which the lord will not break the cows had all come home the milkmaid's faith had not failed the happiest people in the world and the best are the people who go through life as the milkmaid goes through the day believing that before night the cows will all come home it is a faith that does not lend itself to apologetics but like the coming of the cows it seems to work out with amazing regularity it is what myrtle reed would call a woman's reasoning it is because it is the cows will all come home because the cows will all come home Quote, good wife what are you singing for you know we've lost the hay and what we'll do with the horse and kai is more than i can say while like as not with storm and rain we'll lose both corn and wheat she looked up with a pleasant face and answered low and sweet there is a heart there is a hand we feel but cannot see we've always been provided for and we shall always be that's like a woman's reasoning we must because we must she softly said i reason not i only work and trust the harvest may redeem the hay keep heart whate'er betide when one door shut i've always found another open wide there is a heart there is a hand we feel but cannot see we've always been provided for and we shall always be the fact is that the milkmaid has a kind of understanding with providence she is in league with the eternal and providence has a way of its own of keeping faith with trustful hearts like hers i was reading the other day commander j w gambier's links in my life and was amused at the curious inconsistency which led the author first to sneer at providence and then to bear striking witness to its fidelity as a young fellow the commander came to australia and worked on a way-back station but he had soon had enough i was to try what fortune could do for a poor man but i believed in personal endeavor and the recognition of it by providence i did not know providence i did not know providence sneers our young bushman the cows will all come home says the happy milkmaid but on the very same page that contains the sneer commander gambier tells his story when he was leaving england the old cabman who drove him to the station said to him if you see my son tom in australia ask him to write home and tell us how he's getting on i explained the commander tells us that australia was a big country and asked him if he had any idea of the name of the place his son had gone to he had not as soon as commander gambier arrived at newcastle in south wales he met an exceptionally ragged ostler as the ostler handed him his horse mr gambier felt an irresistible though inexplicable conviction that this was the old cabman's son he felt absolutely sure of it so he said your name's fowls isn't it he looked amazed and seemed to think that his questioner had some special reason for asking him and was at first disinclined to answer but mr gambier pressed him and said your father the cheltenham cab driver asked me to look you up he then admitted that he was the man and mr gambier urged him to write his father all this on the self-same page as the ugly sneer about providence and a dozen pages further on i came upon a still more striking story commander gambier was very unfortunate very homesick and very miserable in australia he could not make up his mind whether to stay here or return to england at last he says i resolved to leave it to fate 
the only difference that i can discover between the providence whom commander gambier could not trust and the fate to which he was prepared to submit all his fortunes is that the former is spelt with a capital letter and the latter with a small one but to the story quote, on the road where i stood was a small bush grog shop and the coaches pulled up here to refresh their ever thirsty bush traveller at this spot the up-country and down-country coaches met and i resolved that i would get into whichever came in first leaving it to destiny to settle looking down the long straight track over which the up-country coach must come i saw a cloud of dust and well can i remember the curious sensation i had that i was about to turn my back upon england forever but in the other direction a belt of scrub hid the view the road making a sharp turn and then almost simultaneously i heard a loud crack of a whip and round this corner at full gallop came the down coach pulling up the shanty not three minutes before the other i felt like a man reprieved for my heart was really set on going home and i jumped up into the down coach with a great sense of relief End quote. and thus mr gambier returned to england became a commander in the british navy and one of the most distinguished ornaments of the service he sneers at providence yet trusts to fate and leaves everything to destiny the milkmaids may be an inexplicable confidence but this is an inexplicable confusion both are being guided by the same hand the hand that leads the cows home she sees it and sings he scouts it and sneers that is the only difference carlyle spent the early years of his literary life until he was nearly forty among the moss hogs and isolation of craig and puddock it was fruta says the dreariest spot in all the british dominions the house was gaunt and hungry-looking standing like an island in a sea of morass when he felt the lure of london and determined to fling himself into its tumult he took one of the biggest plunges that a man might take but in that hour of crisis he built his faith on one great golden word all things work together for good to them that love god he wrote to his brother and later on when his mother was in great distress at the departure of her son alec for america carlyle sent her the same text you have had much to suffer dear mother he wrote and are grown old in this valley of tears but you say always as all of us should say have we not many mercies too is there not above all and in all a father watching over us through whom all sorrows shall yet work together for good yes it is even so let us try to hold by that as an anchor both sure and steadfast which is another way of saying it is all right mother mine let them wander as they will whilst the sun is high when it slants through the poplars the cows will all come home the homeward movement of the cows is part of the harmony of the universe man himself goeth forth the psalmist says unto his work and unto his labour until the evening until the evening and then like the cows he comes home in this sense of harmony between the coming of the cows on the one hand and all their environment on the other that gave gray the opening thought for his elgin in a country churchyard the curfew tolls the knell of parting day the lowing herd winds slowly o'er the lee the ploughman homeward plods his weary way and leaves the world to darkness and to me here are two pictures the tired ploughman and the lowing herd both coming home and the two together make up a perfect harmony it is a stroke of poetic genius we are made to feel the weariness of the tired ploughman in order that we might be able to appreciate the restfulness of the evening the solitude of the quiet churchyard and the cows coming slowly home i blamed myself at the beginning for sometimes getting caught in the fever and tumult of life but then if i never knew such exhausting experiences i should never be able to enjoy the delicious stillness of the evening i should never be able to see the beauty of the herd winding so slowly o'er the lee it is just because the ploughman has toiled so hard and done his work so well that his weariness blends so perfectly with the restfulness of the dusk 
for it is only those who have bravely borne the burden in the heat of day who can relish the sweetness and peace of the twilight it is a man's duty to keep things in their right place i do not mean merely that he should keep his hat in the hall and his book on the shelf i mean that as far as possible a man ought to keep his toil to the daylight and his rest to the dusk dr chalmers held that our threescore years and ten are really seven decades corresponding with the seven days of the week six of them he said should be spent in strenuous endeavour but the seventh is the sabbath of the lord thy god and should be spent in sabbatic quiet that ideal is not always capable of realization for the matter of that it is not always possible to abstain from work on the lord's day but it is good to keep it before us as an ideal we may at least determine that on the sunday we will perform only the deeds of necessity and mercy and in the same way we may resolve that we will leave as little work as possible to be done in the twilight of life it was one of the chiefest of the prophets who told us that it is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth if i were the director of a life insurance company i should have that great word blazoned over the portal of the office if by straining an extra nerve in the heyday of his powers a man may ensure to himself some immunity from care in the evening he is under a solemn obligation to do so the weary ploughman has no right to labour after the cows come home for in some respects the sweetest part of the day follows the coming of the cows i have a notion that most of the old folk would say so during the day they fancied that the cows had gone to return no more but they all came home and now says old margaret ogilvy and now it has all come true like a dream i can call to mind not one little thing i ettled for in my lusty days that hasn't been put into my hands in my old age i sit here useless surrounded by the gratification of all my wishes and all my ambitions and at times i am near terrified for it's as if god had mistaken me for some other woman they wandered long that is to say and they wandered far but they all came home cherry and brindle blossom and darky beauty and crinkle daisy and pearl they all came home happy are all they who sing in their souls the milkmaid's song and never never doubt that when the twilight gathers round them the cows will all come home end of part three chapter one